Hi, everybody, and welcome to our new episode of Relatable. I'm Gori. I'm Neha. And I'm Shruti. And I'm Marina. So this, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is a very, very special episode、uh, where we will be answering all your questions about college,、um, featuring our good friend Marina, who is a recently graduated high schooler. And I'll let you introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to be on this podcast and with Gori and Harika and Shruti.、Um, so, yeah, I graduated high school and I'll be going to Tufts University next year to major in cognitive and brain sciences. I might potentially also do a minor in community health. I'm not sure yet.、Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so I think our first biggest question, at least like be- being rising juniors, Are、um, AP classes and exams. So we do know the, like, the gist, like we are taking a couple next year, but we would like it if you could like go into more about like the selection, your interest, and what you've taken. Yeah, of course. So I think AP classes are very important,、um, I guess, in the academic side of college applications because it shows that you're challenging yourself and also shows that. You are developing as a student. You're not just sort of you know, staying in the comfortable zone of taking high school classes. You're now entering college level classes. And I think that selection can get a bit tough because、um, sometimes when you have such a big variety of classes, which in Westboro, I don't think it's as big of a variety in, compared to like other nearby schools,、um, it can still be. Really hard to sort of limit yourself from taking some very, you know, maybe persuading or captivating courses just because that you can.、Um, I think that people can get very, I guess, taken aback by the A and the P in front of any course name. And I get it, it can be like something that is. Attractive to see, like that. Oh, I'm going to be taking such a hard class, and colleges will see that I'm challenging myself by taking multiple AP classes. But when you actually start taking them, you'll notice why it's not really recommended to take more than like three to four at a time,、um, especially if you already have extracurriculars and your own commitments on the side.、Um, at that point, you will sort of have to go into this compromise zone where you have to sort of spend less time than you really want to on each single assignment, each course. And in the end, you won't be satisfied because you just won't really be fully. Putting yourself and really trying to understand the material. You'll sort of just be completing it, completing it, and moving on. So, I guess for selection, what I personally do is I like to first see what courses will be pertinent to what I want to pursue in the future. And that's not something that I think can be applicable to everyone because sometimes people don't really know whether they want to go into science or the humanities in the future. And if that is you, then I would go with your interests and what at the moment you just find more interesting from the courses that you can take. But if you know you already want to do something in pre med or you want to enter the sciences, I would definitely focus on the AP sciences available to you.、Um, and I would also focus on your strengths. So if you know that you did really good in honors biology and that it came You know, it, it was easy for you. It wasn't too difficult. You were able to get that score and you were actually interested in the material. I would definitely go with taking AP Bio the year after. But at the same time, if you felt like, yes, you were doing really good, but you just 
genuinely did not enjoy the material, do not take the AP class. Um, even though it may not be very hard for you, you probably won't have the motivation to spend hours and hours and hours studying for the AP exam and also making sure to like you're fully going through the material. Because I think something that a lot of honors science kids don't really do is they don't really engage as much with the book as AP biology kids will do and as AP science kids in general. The book will be like your holy grail pretty much like you'll be following that thing for everything um it is the one source that you can always trust yes it sometimes will give excessive information that you don't need but it will never give you wrong information and it will also never give you like any misleading information or try to confuse you it's kind of the one thing that you always go to for clarity so um i guess in that sense with selection you go with your interests you go with your strengths and you also try, if you are going to senior year, like specifically if you're going to senior year, or if you're a junior and already know like where you wanna go to school, um, you want to see what courses that college will accept. Because you will notice as you're doing your college search that a lot of schools will only accept five AP classes or won't even accept five AP classes. And in that case, if you're taking the AP class to do more than just show off to the school that you're academically challenging yourself, it's not going to be super great for you once you realize that you can't get any credit for the course that you've taken. So yeah, that's, that's what I have to say. So could you expand a little bit more on AP like credit? Uh, you mentioned that a couple of times, but just expand on that. Yeah, of course. Um, so AP credit is based off of your AP exam. So you'll take an AP exam at the end of the year. Um, it happens in May. It kind of follows the same schedule that a college like final season would take where it's like the first two weeks of May or like the second and the third week of May. And what will happen is you'll be taking this exam that will be two hours to three hours long, sometimes longer than that if you're taking the foreign language exams. And this exam will usually have a multiple choice section and an open response section. So you'll take the exam and you'll get a score ranging from one to five. And four is generally, and five, four though is like the smallest um, value you can get and most likely earn credit. Three, yes, that means you pass the exam, but a lot of colleges don't accept a three. They'll usually accept a four or a five. And some colleges won't even accept a four in certain courses. Um, so you really have to like carefully look at the schools that you're interested in when you're like trying to pick AP classes for your senior year. Um, but for preparation for the exam, I do want to stress that almost always you will feel like you're already somewhat prepped from the class that you've taken. Um, it varies though, like in my experience, I've had certain classes where the whole course was geared towards getting you to take that AP exam and to succeed in that AP exam. Other classes, not so much. You're still learning the material that you should be learning, but you're not really stressing so much about the AP exam structure and you're not sticking to it like very strictly. Um, for example, in AP Spanish, we were learning every single section of the AP exam and we were sticking exactly to what it is that we need to get a five and how to get that five. And in my opinion, it was really helpful because I knew exactly what I had to do to get that score. For other classes, in my opinion, at least like for the AP sciences that I was taking, it felt a little bit more like loose. Yeah, I almost <laughs> It felt a little bit more loose um, because I guess you were still learning the material, but there was no such thing as like a prescription to do well on the exam. You just had to know the content really well and you had to be able to pace yourself throughout the exam. 
but that's pretty much like what I have. And if you feel like you're not being prepped for the exam, that's where you have to sort of go on your independent route and like begin studying very early on. Um, because you will feel like that sometimes that you're not ready for it. And yeah, you should like wait till like two weeks before to start studying. That's the case. Got it. And so personally, you said that you had some classes where you felt like you needed to study for themselves. And so like, how would you study for that? And um, what was your study routine? Yeah, so for my example, like from an AP Biology class, what I was doing is I was consistently watching the um, AP Classroom daily videos. After every single like after every single lesson we had in class, I was like, okay, we talked about this and this and this, and I would figure out which of the daily videos covers that material, and I'd watch that video, take notes, and I'd also make sure to read the chapters that were also covered in my book because the book, again, like I said, is the most important thing for you. What I do though, is I wouldn't just take my own notes from the book. You can do that certainly, but what you'll find is you're gonna be like stuck on one page forever because there's so much information and it's hard sometimes to figure out what information is needed and what information is just not, it's just like kind of accessory. Um, and so what I was using is something called the active reading guide. So you'll usually find some kind of reading guide for the AP books. And if you're able to find that, sometimes even online, you don't have to buy anything. Um, it helps because as you're reading, you know what you have to look for and you know what you probably will be studying later on. And so I was able to keep track of those daily video notes and those book notes. And by keeping track of those, I was able to then, you know, about a month or so, a bit more so before the exam, I began reviewing all of those notes again. And I also made sure to take practice exams. You'll notice that AP Classroom has a lot of features for that with multiple choice questions and also FRQ practice. And so that will help you to like also see where are you struggling? Where are you like definitely getting the material right? Um, I think pacing is not as hard as people think that it is. Like people sometimes will think like, oh, what if I know the content really well, but I'm just so slow. Um, chances are you won't really struggle with that. If you know the content, you should be fine. Next question, you guys. <laughs> so we talked about AP courses and like how it's a little bit harder than, you know, normal high school level courses. Um, how would you like balance overall schoolwork with, you know, like volunteering and running clubs and like maybe jobs as a side? So for me, this is something that might seem a little bit crazy but I would like keep a time log in my notes app of like what I'm doing every single like 50 minutes or every hour-ish and that can be very excessive I know <laughs> but it really helped me control my schedule and not feel overwhelmed by the amount of work I had to do because like you'll enter a stage in your life where you're like okay I have this test I have to study for and I have to volunteer at this place at this time and I have to fill out this application for this school and it will just feel like a bunch of things are being thrown at you all at once. And knowing that, okay, this day and at this time, I am focusing only on this task, and then I'll focus on this other task and that task, and then next day I'll do this other thing, helped me to just feel like more at ease because I knew that, yes, I wasn't doing this other thing I need to do right at this moment, but I knew that I was gonna do it at some other day. And I knew like when I was gonna do it, it wasn't like sort of like, I wonder when I'll do it, you know? Because I feel like when you leave it up for question is when it gets really easy to procrastinate it until it's way like close to that exam or, you know, application deadline and you have to really hurry it and it's not going to come out the best that it probably could have, you know, come out. Going off of that, um, so like the volunteer opportunities and like job opportunities, 
um like what's the process for like finding those kinds of opportunities yeah so it's is unfortunately trial and error from what i've experienced unless you have like connections and like you could have family like yeah then it, it can be a lot easier but pretty much what i did is i would like search up like hospitals near me and i would just call like every single hospital that i think would like accept me or had a specific thing i was looking for at some point though i stopped looking for specific hospitals and i just started calling every hospital available um, just because when I was doing this, it was the summer of 2021 and it was really hard to find hospitals that were accepting volunteers. I hope in the future that it's not this hard, but a lot of hospitals do have volunteering programs and they do accept applications. So if that's something you're interested in, I would strongly recommend that by the spring of that year they want to volunteer in, they're contacting hospitals and seeing what applications you can fill out. Um, but at, pretty much what happened is at some point a hospital said yes to me and I was able to fill out an application at an interview and they accepted me. And um, that was how that worked. And even now, like that hospital is not accepting volunteers for this summer because of COVID. So it's something that can be very frustrating, but you have to like be patient and just keep on doing it. And the same thing happened for like senior home, like if you want to do something in the senior home, you pretty much just call senior homes near you and you try to see which one has activities open for you to volunteer at. Okay, makes sense. Okay, so on to the next question about college applications. So I think that a lot of us are like, um, you know, thinking about this into the future. So I was just wondering, like, what's in it? Like, what are like all the components in it? And like, how do you go about writing everything and filling everything out? Sure. So you'll hear of this often um, when you get to senior year, but there's something called the common application. And the common application is amazing because you're pretty much filling out one application for a whole range of other schools. And so um, what I was doing is I made sure that by the spring, like in during the spring of my junior year, I was preparing my personal statement. So personal statement or personal essay, however it is you want to call it, is a 650 word essay that is personal. So you're not writing about like an academic thing or you can, but I personally say that this is a time where you want to show something that you're not already showing in your grades, you're not already showing in your clubs, and you're not already talking about in your supplemental essays. So you, some, there are prompts available for you. So if you are like, I don't have no idea what I want to write about, you can look at those prompts and begin writing about something. But also there is the prompt that pretty much says, hey, this is like a free prompt, write about anything you want. And that's the one I chose. All people choose that one if they already have a topic in mind that they want to write about. And I pretty much started writing the May of junior year after I finished my AP exams. And it was a long process. Like I finalized my last draft in July of my personal essay. And I was in contact with my um, 11th grade English teacher. She's amazing. She was helping me to just, you know, edit my essay, remove parts that were not necessary, telling me some recommendations of things to add to make it more vivid and make it something that I think could like be more captivating to read. Um, I think the personal essay can be one of the hardest parts of the college application process because it's an essay that we don't write about often. Um, you're not usually being told, hey, write a personal essay about your life. Chances are you're being told to write about like a literary analysis or compare two pieces of literature. You're not really writing about like you, but in this one you are. So you kind of abandoning a little bit of your like 
formula, I guess, for writing essays here because you don't want to sound like a robot. You know, you want to be yourself and you want to show that in your punctuation and your grammar. And I think that um, that's definitely something new. But after the personal essay, you move on to your supplements. So supplements are still written pieces, but they're specific to every single school. So some schools will have them, some schools won't. Some schools will have multiple. Some schools only have one. Um, some people like to wait until August 1st to write these supplemental essays because that is when they're officially released by the institutions. However, I started writing them during the summer of my, like during some four senior years, so in June-ish, and only two colleges changed their prompts out of like the 15 that I was applying to. So I would recommend to start early, like chances are they're not gonna change. And even if they do change, you'll probably still be able to incorporate your essay in some way for that school or for another school. Um, but the supplemental essays are a bit different because they'll ask you like, what makes you excited to be a student at the school? Or they'll ask you, what about your environment helped shape you to become the person that you are today and so forth. Um, and so those are supplemental essays. And then another component of it is a common app component, which is the um, activities list. So you have 10 activities and you have very limited space to write about the description of those activities. A couple of characters, I think it's like 150 characters for description. So you wanna be using bullets here. Um, so you'll have some space to write about what like leadership you gained in that activity, what you did in that activity, what years you're participating in that activity, and how many hours you spend um, doing something for that activity every week and every year. After you move on from that part, um, there's other part that's not really coming from you, but you do need to request a letter of recommendation. Um, I would recommend that you request three to four. Usually only need two, but you wanna do more just because sometimes you'll find institutions that will be accepting more and more is not always better actually because sometimes like it will just become excessive and there's not really anything new to add but sometimes we feel like there's another person who can put in another perspective that other teachers and other recommenders haven't then i would recommend that you ask them as well and you want to ask them the spring of your junior year you don't want to wait until the summer to ask them because at that point they're writing them so you you do want to give them enough time to write them and like really Feel comfortable writing them too. Um, and then another part of it, which not every single school has, is interviews. Um, so some schools will have optional alumni interviews or just interviews in general with um, either like admission officers or someone else. I think the most common one are alumni interviews, but pretty much what will happen is you can request for an alumni interview. Sometimes schools will only request you like you can't request to have an interview um, but other schools like Tufts you could request to have one and what would happen is at a certain time they would try to match you with someone who they think would be like a good person to interview you that is an alumni of the institution and you would talk to them for about 30 to minutes to an hour-ish and you know they'll ask you some questions about who you are you get to respond back and there are a lot of resources you can use to prep for these interviews um, you don't really want to like recite your resume to them because chances are they already know about some stuff and um, yeah pretty much after the interview they will write about like a paragraph summary of what you guys talked about what they thought of you and they'll submit that to the admission team um, and
And yeah, I think those are like the main components pretty much of the college application. And obviously the college research, which usually starts like, in my opinion, it, it's helpful to start like February of your junior year. Because at that point you have like enough information about your stats, about your like, SAT, your GPA, your activities to see where you'll fit in well. Okay, so that was actually one of my questions. Like, when do you start doing all of this? So would you say that in your, because um, you also want to make sure like for teacher recommendations that your teachers get enough time. So spring like makes sense. So I would you say that like the earliest that you start with your college apps would be like in junior year, like winter? Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, you can definitely have an idea before then where you want to go. That's completely fine. Mm -hmm. But when you're trying to create a very concrete list, which will change at some point, but if you are trying to do that, it's helpful to start usually, I say like February, March of junior year or like winter, like you said, because you'll already know like, okay, my GPA is here. My SAT is here. These are my activities. Like, you know what you're doing, you know, like where you want to go to. Cause at that point you probably have matured, you know, like what is the environment you're looking for and what is also the career that you want to pursue. And I think when you have the answers to those questions, that's when you should start looking for colleges. Mm. Cause if you start way on early, you have no idea like what you're really looking for. And it might just feel very overwhelming because there's a lot of schools to look into. So yeah. yeah. Okay, now related to the entire college application, um, what about like scholarships and financial aid related to your college application? So um, how can you like prepare for each college or is it just like in general for all of your colleges? Like how does that all work? Yeah, so you'll have a FAFSA and the CSS. The FAFSA is something that if you are a citizen of the United States of America, you will fill out. And the FAFSA will not give you that much money. The FAFSA is like federal money. So um, it changes obviously based off of your income, but they'll ask the very generic things of like your W-2 information, your tax return information, um, and use with your family. And I believe the FAFSA opens on October 1st. So if you're, for example, class of 2023, that would open October 1, 2023 is when the FAFSA would open, you can fill out an application. Oh no, sorry, October 1, 2022 and um your css is a little bit different it opens the same time as the fafsa but the css is only requested by some schools most of the time it's only the private schools that want your css profile and the css is like the fafsa but takes a much longer time to complete and is much more detailed um it will ask you a lot of things that you have to manually enter whereas the fafsa you can just usually like submit it from TurboTax, um, your tax return information, so it kind of fills it out itself. You don't have to like go in and ask your parents all these questions. Um, but your parents usually will be able to take care of that information. And I would recommend that you be with your parents when they're writing this stuff. You shouldn't just let them do it by themselves. Like I've seen so many accidents with that where like they click the wrong button and it ends up going into this whole other place. So be with your parents as they're filling out this information. Um, and pretty much based off of those two applications is how the college will decide like how, like how much money they should give you. College-wise though, it varies because some schools will only give you need-based scholarships and other ones will give you both merit and need-based. So need-based pretty much means we're only giving you money based off of your financial household information. We're not giving you money because of your merit, because of your GPA, your activities. And colleges stick to that. Like no college will ever make an exception for one student to, you know, with that policy. Other schools though, they'll give both. Meaning that we'll give you money because of your financial household information. 
but we'll also give you money if we see that you have a very exceptionally like high GPA at like SAT. Um, sometimes even if you have like exceptionally good um, essays and act, like activities and some schools will like they'll have a separate like little area for you to apply to some of those scholarships like BU they have the trustee scholarship and to apply to that scholarship you are filling out like another sort of like little essay um, pretty much answering the prompt for that scholarship and they're gonna consider that essay as long along with like your merit information to see whether you should get it or not so um, that's like the merit versus need based. And that's something that as you're looking at schools, you'll also see that some schools will offer 100% demonstrated need, some schools don't do that. And so what 100% demonstrated need pretty much means is if they see that there's a gap between how much your parents can pay and how much tuition is at the institution, they will pay the rest of that gap 100%. A lot of schools can't do this though, so they'll give you some money, but they can't pay that gap completely. Got it. So we have 36 seconds left. So um, we'll just rejoin because we have one more topic to go over, which is um, early application decision. Um, so Should we just rejoin now. Yeah, we can just rejoin now okay. and then we'll. Okay, so just join back, everybody. So have we completed uh, scholarships and financial aid? Yeah, I think okay. so. Cool. You can like um, react to that if you'd like, like perfect or something. So we have a good transition. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So, oh gosh, I completely messed that up. My God. <laughs> You're fine. You didn't even say anything. <laughs> ah. All right. Cool. So my last question is probably about early application and decision. Um, I know you applied early application to a college. Um, so just like go into that, tell us a story, um, things that you found interesting, things that would help us in the near future. Yeah, so as you're applying to schools, you'll notice that there are, for the most part, three ways you can apply to schools. You can apply early action, early decision, or regular decision. There's also the um, restrictive early action, which I can talk a little bit about later, but um, early action is where you're applying early to schools, usually sticking to a November 1st deadline, and you're getting back your decision early as well. Usually you're getting it sometime between like December to like early February. But that early action is not binding in any way. So let's say you get into that school, there's nothing that says you have to go to that school now. And early action is nice because you're applying early, you're getting back your decision early. And not only that, but chances are you don't have as many people who are in the applicant pool because it's early. And you can apply to as many schools as you want that offer the early action option. Some schools don't offer early action, but for the ones that do, you can apply to as many as you want. The second one is early decision. Early decision is still a November 1st deadline, but early decision is different because it is binding. So 
you can only apply to one school early decision and if you get in you have to go you're like you sign a contract you and your parents and your counselor saying that the student will get in they will go so that's why you should definitely consider that early decision very carefully and be sure of it once you are like yeah i want to do early decision and most schools offer early decision and um, then you have regular decision and this is where you have a january 1st deadline some schools only offer early decision and regular decision so regular decision is pretty much where you're applying to a bunch of schools by January 1st. There are more applicants and this tends to be the most competitive time to apply to school because of just there being more applicants. Um, and early decision is something that I was considering because I was looking at schools and at first I like I knew of Tufts, but I and I knew I was going to apply for sure, but I did not think I was going to do early decision because I was like taught to fear early decision. like. That thing is scary, it's binding, like you don't know, maybe you'll get into this other like really good school. And I started doing my research and everything kind of like Tufts kind of like checking off every box that I was looking for. And that's when I decided to do early decision Tufts. Um, starts off like for me, the social environment was perfect because I did not want to go to a city school, but I also did not want to go to school in the middle of nowhere. I wanted like suburban setting where I could go to the city if I wanted to, but I also don't have to be overwhelmed constantly by like the sound of the city and just being amidst that. And then the second thing was academics. I really liked the fact that it was a liberal arts school, but at the same time, it was very much like focused on STEM as well. And they have an amazing program in medicine. They have a med school and they have an early assurance program in medicine, which is probably like one of the biggest things for me. Um, early assurance program essentially means that if you are interested in medicine by your sophomore year of college, if you have a certain GPA and if you are able to take the classes that that early assurance program wants you to, you can submit an application um, and that application is considered by a Tufts Medical School Committee. They'll then take you for an interview and if they like you, then you'll be accepted into the program. And that program is not binding, so you can decide to apply to other medical schools even after getting in. But if you decide not to, what that means is you will now have a seat in the Tufts Medical School class of for me, it'd be 2026, um, and that like class, like that seat that you have, does not require for you to take an MCAT or to take like any other special things to keep that seat. So usually, for medical school, you need to take an MCAT and you take score very high because medical schools are very competitive. Um, but if you get into the early assurance program, you don't need to take the MCAT. You don't need to like satisfy any other requirement besides maintaining that GPA that you needed to have to first apply to the program. That compounded with the financial aid policy there um, was kind of like why I decided that this is the best school for me. But it took a lot of time thinking about it. I talked to my parents about it, my counselor about it. Um, and I recommend that if you're interested in doing early decision that you spend a lot of time really deliberating because some students, I guess, um, they decide to do early decision and then they get into like this really top notch school that they did not think they were gonna get into. And they're like, oh, I really regret applying ED now. But if you think that will be you, like you should not apply ED because that does not mean you genuinely like like the school as much as you think you do. So, um, but yeah. Wait, but, I have a question. Yeah. So for when I know that you said the difference between early action and early decision was that you're required to go for early decision. So yeah. why didn't you just choose to go early action? Like if everything else would be the same. 
So but you're not required for early action. Oh, that's yeah. So some schools will not offer early action. Okay. Um, and if that's the case, then yeah, you can't. You just have to go to a regular decision in that case. Mm. Okay. So I think it's safe to say then you have to just like start the college process early. Just like yes, do your essays exactly. early. Okay. So you know like what schools you're interested in, what school you even might want to do um, and you know what schools you have to apply early to because it might have like an early action policy that will benefit you. All right, so I think it's a wrap for this episode. We hope you enjoyed. Uh, thank you so much to Marina for spending time with us and sharing her story here today. Follow our Instagram podcast underscore relatable and stay tuned for more episodes. Bye. Bye. Bye.